Well, good morning. So thankful that you're here today. It's a blessing and honor and a privilege to be a leader here at the church. And hopefully you'll grab a hold of something today. Uh, If you're new here, a special welcome. If you've been around a couple times, welcome. If you're just visiting or you're kicking the tires, no matter why you're here, if you're a regular, if you're just checking us out, we want to say thanks for coming. But we also want you to walk away with here with our mission of loving the world one person at a time because it's transformative and it changes people's lives and it makes our society a better place. I'm trying to grow some teenage girls into great godly women and it's hard so i need your help by loving people so that they can see that the world is a good place and i got great girls and they want to experience that so thanks for being here today we are doing a series called he is now last week i I came off of first service and i'm like man if i could just do the same exact message i did in first service it would be fantastic now unlike jeremy i'm different And, uh, you know, the difference between first service and second service is they're different people. And God wants to do different work. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that today, what the different work is and how that works in us. But it's going to be different than what happened in the first service because there's a different group of people that need to hear a different message. Does that make sense? And if we're here today, listen, if we gathered here today, this assembly, I'm not talking about anybody else, and I rarely talk about anything else but this assembly. If we're here today, and, and, and we're all supposed to be together for just one person, that their life can be affected, changed, and transformed, wouldn't that be worth it? I guarantee you that's going to happen today. Amen? So we're doing this series called He Is. The first week, Jeremy started off, he's one of the pastors here that was just up here, talking about He Is God. And if you want to hear it online, it's a great it's a great message about who he is. One of the things that struck me as he was talking about all the omnis, the omnipresent on what? Yeah, we struggled with that last week. There was a bunch of stuff that Jeremy talked about. One of the things that struck me was we can't define God, right? We can't define God. God is as undefinable. But the problem is we define him all the time and we limit him and we put him in a little box or we put him in our little shelf next to our box and we put God in this little thing and think that this word is all that he is. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying there's so much more. So Jeremy talked about he is God. Last week we talked about this supernatural God. He is supernatural, doing supernatural things. And this week we're going to talk about uh, He is love. But before we do that, we have a memory verse. And I hope that you grab a hold of this memory verse because this is who He really is. Revelation 22 verse 13 says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As we look to that verse, that's something that if you're wrestling with, something that you need to really grab a hold of. That he is the beginning of your alphabet, the end of your alphabet, the beginning of your life he was there. He will be there at the end of the life. He was there at the beginning of time. He will be there at the end of time. Those are things that you're going to have to grapple with. And if you have those questions, grab a hold of somebody around you that looks like they know what they're talking about. And even if they don't, ask them because they might give you a great answer. We need to understand that. Today I want to start with, uh, uh, as we talk about he is love, I want to start with the love chapter. Now... The love chapter in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13, and the Apostle Paul writes this. And it's about love, but it's not that warm and fuzzy, I met you online kind of love. That's a joke for some of you. 
still hasn't caught on nationwide, but there are people meeting online. It's a love that's long-term. Five years, 10 years, 20 years. Who's been married over 40 years here? Raise your hand. That's the kind of love we're talking about right there. 40 years of love, there's moments where you're not warm and fuzzy. You're lucky to be in the house, right? (laughs) That's the kind of love that we're talking about. Here's what it is. I'm going to read the first few verses and then we'll jump down to the last. And, and, And the title in mind, the NLT title says, Love is the Greatest. That's the title. It says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had a gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. And this is the verse we hear Paul, Paul write, and it says this. And this is the one we hear in weddings a lot. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And if you look at the last verse of this chapter, it says, These things will last forever, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's where we stand today. Now, I I opened up with saying, and I do this almost every week, I I don't think I've missed a week since uh, we started, that we as a church came alongside each other and we came out of a verse on Mark 12, 30 and 31. And from that, we came out that says, love God and love others as you love yourself. That's really what the verse says. And we said, hey, we're going to be a church that's about love. Now, I'm going to be pretty honest and open, which I generally am. I'm pretty, pretty transparent up here. I'm really good at loving the world about 50%. On mission, as a, as a person that I believe is on mission, which I think I am, is I am really good at loving the world one person at a time. I am. The problem is there's another side to that, which is receiving love. It's not my best. When you are loving me and loving the world and, and at me, I'm not very good at that. And, and, and this week, it was, it was thrown in my face in a way that I had to do it. And I, I was stuck. Me and my, my wife and my girls have moved in from one home to another home. And we moved during the middle of the week. No knucklehead does that. Only I do. Because nobody's around during midweek. A couple of people take off work. And, you know, so we moved midweek, right? And... Uh, my kids went in one direction, which was kind of a blessing, and then we went another direction, and uh, we stayed in this place called the bunker. Now, it happens to be somebody at church's house, and they have this room called the bunker. Uh, Myla and Burton Cote really offered up their house, and it was a blessing to us, and they loved us almost uncomfortably awesome. I mean, it was great. And then I had a bunch of friends come and move us on a Monday. A couple of brothers took off some work to go, to go and be a part of it, and it's hard. You know, not only hard for me, my wife's an amazing woman. It was hard for both of us because we were just getting this outpouring of love. And God uh, kept shining on us. And yesterday as we moved in, I had a couple brothers from church, uh, you know, putting in the floor at my house. It's amazing. But it's not always easy. It seems like for me it's easier to give 
love, but to receive it, it's so much harder. And I think today we're going to dig into that a little bit so that we can see that God wants to pour into a church like this and teach us how to receive love. I mean, I've still got so much to grow. And that's what God wants to do today. Today we're going to read a place in the Bible that says this. God is love. God is love. And if you just get a chance for a second to think about that, I want you to look at me real quick. I want to look right here and I want you to know that God is love. And He loves you. He loves you dearly. God loves you as well. Individually, one person at a time, He loves you for who you are. And you can't believe this, but even this group... I know, it's hard, Andy, but he still says it. He loves each and every one of you. He loves you a lot. The problem is, the way that we gauge love is different than the way God wants to really gauge love. We gauge love by a feeling, and today we're going to challenge that premise that God is not really about loving you in a feeling, He wants to love you a different way. Now, here's what happened. I had a text come in just a few minutes while I was back praying that the message this morning was pretty amazing. He goes, I got three responses. One hated it, said it was too harsh. One thought it was great because it gave her an image of Jesus. And the other one just said it was a good word. It made me really think. So anything could happen today. Hopefully you're part of the good side. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about love and the truth about love. And we're kind of going through this systematic approach to it. God is, uh, he is God, he is supernatural, and the supernatural power that God has is love. One of my dear friends came up and we were talking about something this week and she goes, thanks for the message because that's how my life got radically changed, by receiving God's love. Today, someone in here is going to get loved Someone in here is going to get loved in a way that's going to help them bridge their life into a better place with God. Amen? So if you're able to stand or if you'd like to stand or maybe you don't want to stand or maybe you really want to and you can't, let's honor God with His Word. Open up your heart. Get ready. Let's continue to worship God. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we are not to be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we, have, we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love cast, expels all fear. If we are afraid, for, it is for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we are not fully experiencing His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. Now is an opportunity for you to ask God to speak to you personally as I pray that God will use me as a a vessel for His Word. So if you're willing, I, I, I challenge you, ask God to speak to you personally today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, praise you for who you are. Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for waking us up to celebrate one more day of life. Lord, I ask that you use this group this time 
to grow us into a deeper relationship with you, a deeper love, a new place, an active place, Father. For your name is the name above all names. And all God's people said, Amen. So, 1 John is towards the end of the Bible. There's a few books before Revelation, and then you get to the end, and it's over. And 1 John is a general epistle. It's a general letter, and it's sent to the churches. And, and here's the best part of 1 John. It's written to Christians. So if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, you might get something out of it. Just I'm just saying that. That could be something that you can grab a hold of. 1 John is an amazing book. If you're looking for something to read, you should grab a hold of it. I've been reading it since Mexico. I've been reading it verse by verse and going back and forth on chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And I read all the other books in the last four or five weeks. But I've been really coming back since Mexico, kind of really grabbing a hold of what this means to me. It's a simple book, easy reading. It's a basic book that, that God uses. John is actually written so basically it would be elementary Greek. It would be first grader type Greek. If you went to a Bible college and they were going to start out on beginner Greek, they might tell you to go to John and take a chapter or a verse or the whole book and translate it because it's really simple Greek. That's the kind of writing that we have in 1 John. Now, just because it's written elementary doesn't mean it's not very profound. A lot of times we think of, you know, some of the early books, when we think of elementary books, first grade and second grade books, that they don't have a message. But if you go back to some of those books, they have a great message, right? So don't think that because it's written so basically that we can't grab a hold of something. John is uh, one of the simplest books to read in Greek, but it's also one of the most profound and complex. Because most of the times, the most Profound things that we see are the simplest, but they're hard to put in our lives. And that's what we get when we look at the uh, first John as a, as a text as a whole. The other thing that I think it's important to understand about first John is if you read commentary, uh, which means it's uh, words written about the text. They're great theologians that spent their whole life kind of studying and getting some background. If you read commentary, not many of them are, are unified. You could read five different commentary on the same chapter, and they might all have a different take because there's not much unification here. And so one of the things they are unified is in our chapter about God is love. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. One truth that we grab a hold of in John, 1 John chapter 4 this whole, this whole chapter talks about God's love. One truth is that God's love is real. And we call that agape love. The true definition of God's love is called agape love. The way that I've always said it, it's a love that only can come from God. Let's talk a little bit about it. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and it's an act of the will. It's an act. It's, it's a movement. It's, it's, it's from God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, all of the love that we see in that is agape love. It's godly driven love. It comes from God. And here's the last part that you can see. Agape love is unequal in all creation and th through created beings. It's not from us. I wish I could bestow the agape love that God has given me. It's strong. 
I'm just sitting there in front of my mom, and, 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 and I just got this as Jeff was singing this song. Then I'm running for your heart. I felt it. And I wish that I could just bottle up because there's a few of you in here that are desperate for it. But it comes from God. And it takes a part of you to move into that place. And that's what we're talking about when we have this agape love. It's there, but we've got to do something to truly allow it to sink deep within us. So he is love. He is agape to all of us. When we read 1 John 4, if you've got a chance... Uh, read 1 John 4 because it will give you a better context of what the whole chapter is trying to say. If you look at it, there's some themes here. And the theme is God's life-giving love. If you looked at the whole chapter as a whole, you would see God's life-giving love. And, and that's a great place to be, God's life-giving love. And in this chapter, there's three things of that life-giving love that we can grab a hold of today. Number one is God is the starting place of all love. He's the Alpha and Omega the first and the last, the beginning of the end. He's the starting point of all love. We see that in the Bible, but we need to understand that in our hearts, that he is the starting point of all love. Another thing that we can grab a hold of in this text is that God's love is genuine. Sometimes today in our world, we have love, but is it genuine? One of the things I love about people and the rumors about journey outside and in, in the streets is, this is an authentic place. Real love, real, genuine people, you know, not much fakeness here. But it's not in all places. But one of the things I think we strive at is breaking down the walls and just trying to be real. And I try and be real as well. And I hope that translates through some of the things that we do. So one of the things is God models genuine love. And the last thing is, this text says, and our text says that God is love. He is agape love. And because of that, he wants us commands us and urges us to love others. Those are the three things that we grab a hold of all of John chapter 4. Now, when we look at John chapter 4, there's an assertion here. Assertion would mean a, 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 a declaration. He's, he's giving us a declaration. The first words that we read today says, God is love. He is love. That's a declaration or an assertion that we've got to grab a hold of. We need to understand what that means. As we take this assertion in our life, it needs to work through every part of who we are. The whole point of this passage is to trace a relationship between God's love and human love to show the human love flows from God. So what does that mean? If you were to try and find God's heart and God's love, you would put a trace paper on God and you would draw it for yourself and say, this is what it looks like. And we're trying to trace that into our own self. So it's like, I went to church today. And I trace God's love and then I'm going to put it in my wallet or in my purse or I'm going to carry it close to my heart. And that's going to connect me to God's love. That's what we're trying to do as we make this connection that God is love. He is the wellspring of love and once tapped into it, life flows. Real life. True life. Feeling everything but not necessarily just living on feeling, but grabbing a hold of it and making us move into a new and better place. That's what God's love is trying to do for us. Verse 16b says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Who wants to be loved here? 
And the truth is, everybody that raised their hand, most of us just want to be loved by another person, right? Just, just somebody loved me, right? But the truth is, God wants to love you even if you don't love Him. The assertion is that I want to be loved, and I do. And the truth is, I've got all these girls in my house, and there's a lot of love there. There is. That's a great place to be. But even with all that love, I got a great loving wife. God's love is so much deeper, so much better. And that's my poor wife. It was no knock on her. It's actually a blessing. Because when I'm loved by God, I can be a better lover to her and to this world. God is love. Now, most of you know this because you come regularly, but I'm a little dyslexic. So dyslexia flips stuff around and I got to memorize stuff a lot when I get up here, especially the reading. And sometimes I get the wrong translation. But a lot of times when we read God is love, many of us dyslexic this verse to say love is God. Now, for me, though I'm dyslexic, you would think that makes really a lot of sense to me, but I don't like it. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but a lot of us kind of switch this around And we inadvertently switch it to read, love is God. But that's not what John wrote. Doesn't mean it's wrong when I say love is God, but that's not what John wrote. John writes, God is love. Love is God means that it is a final, absolute good. So, that doesn't mean it's wrong. That means actually good. That's the final love, and it's absolutely good. That's what love is God means. But John's not writing that. John's writing, God is love. And this means something completely different. God is love is this. If you want to know what love is, you must let God define it. That's what he's trying to say. When you put God as love, you're saying, I don't know what love is, Lord, but I'm going to let you define it. And that reminds me of Jeremy's first message when we talked about he is. He said that God can't be defined. The problem is we try and define him. We try and minimize him. We try and make him power, powerless in our life. And that's why the second week we talked about a supernatural God because I want a God that moves in ways that radically transforms us. God is love. And he he must define that in our heart. Frederick Beechner says this, to say that love is God is a romantic idealism, right? It's this romantic thing. Oh, I'm sitting with my wife and we're having this great dinner and I'm like, yeah, love is God. And it kind of sets the mood. It's this romantic thing like, Man, you're really deep, honey. She would never say that because she knows the truth about me. But she would say something, somebody like... But it's, a, it's this idealism. Love is God. And it sounds kind of cool and hip and slick. But that's not what John writes. And here's what uh, Beekner said. It says, to say God is love is either the last straw or the ultimate truth. Well, John is writing, saying... For some of you, it's the last straw. This is the last place on the earth that somebody's going to grab a hold of you and help you to that new place, and that being the Lord. But truthfully, what, what, um, what John is writing here in 1 John 4 is that it is the ultimate truth in life and in this world. God is love is an ultimate truth. And we all need to agree and get into that place. God is not hate, anger, bitterness... God is not deceitful, but God is love. And this love does not describe the fullness of God, but God describes the fullness of love. It's different. We try and describe God's fullness of love, 
But the truth is, we need to open up. And why is that? Because you and I have different DNA. And the way that I receive God's love might be different from even my wife or my friends. He's going to love Stephen differently than he's going to love me because I need a good kick in the butt every so often. Somebody in here doesn't need to get a kick in the butt because maybe they were kicked in the butt all their time growing up and they don't need any more kicks. They need a hug. Some people just need to know that God is there and he can provide when they need provision. So he loves us in multiple ways. So let's not define him by one way because God can love us individually in the right way that he, he loves us personally. Does that make sense? Kind of. God is love and all who live in him live in God. God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more and more perfect. What does love grow? How does love grow? We see that in relationships, right? We see love grow in relationships only because it just gets older, right? Well, I've been in love for a long time and I have. I'm coming up on 10 years and my love is, is just as strong as it was when I first met her. But it's not just because time is gone that love has grown. I had to work and she's had to work and we've had to put God first to make love grow. How does love grow? How does it grow? The text tells us that if we have good love, our love grows more and more perfect. Well, let me explain a little bit of this and why we might not have our love growing in God or in our relationships or why maybe it is growing. A lot of times people believe and teach that love is a feeling or emotion. We feel, and and it's about an emotion. And yes, feelings and emotions are part of God. They are. They're part of love. They're part of God. All of that. But love is really action-orientated. Love is an action. It's a verb. And maybe you've heard a sermon about love being a verb, right? And it's what you do is a verb. What do you do? How do you love your family? Sometimes family's hard to love. But it's not a feeling. A feeling is a noun. And, and, and God wants us to be in action, not in nouns. A lot of times we only relate our love through feelings. And I'm not discarding your feelings. I'm saying there's more to it than feelings. Many marriages, even among Christians, are failing because they value feelings over actions. We feel, and so this is how I'm going to act. I get an opportunity to counsel people every so often. I don't know why, but uh, I'm kidding. I I love counseling. Probably the strongest part of my ministry is one-on-one ministry or um, having a couple come. But I get a chance to say it, and a lot of times when they get separate from other people, they say, I think I'm falling out of love, or I fell out of love. And I would say... And have said, can you really? Can you fall in love and fall out of love? Or is that just a feeling? We fall out of bed. I was going to say something, but I'll leave my wife alone out of this. But we, we fall in the bathtub. We fall downstairs. We fall when we play sports. We fall all the time. But do we really fall out of love? Or is it that I don't like the way that I'm feeling about you right now and since then I'm going to take an action to not love you? 
No, the way you're making me feel then says, I don't love you enough, so I'm going to do something counterproductive. And so my choice is that I'm going to actually fall out of love because I'm choosing it, not because of my feelings. My feelings aren't my future. My feelings are my feelings. And I don't know if you guys know this, but sometimes our feelings are wrong. Let me say that again. Sometimes my feelings are wrong. Look at the last time you had a feeling that was wrong and realize, whoa, I shouldn't always do. I'm not a big NCIS guy, but that guy's guts always right on TV. I know, Stephen, you'll get over it. He, Stephen, loves, uh, but that's not always true. Just because what's his name? Dibs or Gibbs or Jibs that uh, it doesn't mean it's true. Our feelings aren't always right. Doesn't mean they're always wrong, but they're not always right. Love grows from another place, and we've got to see it to really believe it. Now, this next part of the message, I could have chose many people in my life to kind of exhibit this. I could have chose my dad. My dad, he's somewhere around here, but I could have chose my dad. Because for the last several years, he's made it his mission that every time I call, he says, yes, whatever it is. Can I do this? Yes. Can I borrow this? Yes. My dad's not really a loner. Not like a loner, loner by himself, but loan out stuff. So for when he says yes to that, it's like, yes, God, you're alive and well. And my dad. So I could have used my dad. I could have used Jeremy Case. Jeremy Case is the most humble man. I tell him some pretty brutal stuff. And he gets this funny look. Maybe you've seen it on stage a couple times. But you know what? Just because he doesn't like it doesn't mean he won't do it. He'll do anything I ask him. I've asked him, seriously, it's like a reality show, some of the things I've asked him to do. It's dead serious. I got, when I told the first service, I'll tell you the same thing. I asked the guy to go to a jail cell and marry someone because they wouldn't let me in. So he did it, right? I mean, he'll do anything. That's amazing. That's the guy that you have. So I could use Jeremy. And, and the truth is I should probably use my wife. Because my wife, if you guys don't know this, is my wife had a, uh, was really the one that woke up one morning and said, I think we should start a church. And she goes, I don't, I don't want to, but I think we should. And so my wife should be the one. But the truth is, to get into this, I'm going to use my mom. My mom is an amazing woman. My mom has such a servant heart and she loves so many people. She loves all kinds of things. She loves birds and animals. She rescues birds, sparrows and crows. Who rescues crows? I go forward and then I back up, you know. But she'll take them up to the the place up there and uh, rescue them, sparrows. My mom's a servant. She loves animals, but you know who she loves even more is people. And I've been, a, and have been the ability to be a part of that for my whole life. My mom has been an amazing servant of God. She rescues people too. Her job was in the physical therapy field. And it, it was mind-boggling to see what she did during those times. She did physical therapy and did her job because she wanted people to be better. And it wasn't like, come into my house, I got an injury a year ago. Many times it was in the hospital right after an injury. And she's the lady that comes, you got to get up today. 
But I just got surgery yesterday. You got to get up today. That's who she was. And she was pushing people to get them to become better. And I remember going to Christmas and getting all these Christmas cards. And they were for random people. I'm like, who is this? And she's like, oh, somebody from a year or two ago or three years ago. And they were sending her cards saying, thanks for pushing me to become a better person. You see, my mom is a servant. She's a giver. She labors. And it's the display of her love that shows that she really cares about you and about me and my dad and my wife and my kids and my grandkids. All right, I guess I don't have grandkids yet. No grandkids. My mom's grandkids. Give Nacho a heart attack over there. My mom is a true person of love and action. Truly a testimony of God. Not just words in her action. And she's been like this since I can remember. Sometimes I just want to maybe hear it, but she would show it every time. Right? She would show it every time. And that's what Christ is trying to say to us. That we need to see it in action. Verse 17 says, we live in God and God's, our love grows more perfectly. There's some action there. So we, not, we should, will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face with confidence because we live like Jesus in this world. We can not worry about being judged because we have Jesus. The way that he was in this world. My mom has been like that even before Christianity. Now we were kind of always in and out of churches. And we were at some point just C&E's Christmas and Easter. But we really didn't have a relationship. And my mom was still like that. Loving us. I mean, she had some selfish years like we all do. But it didn't mean that she didn't love us. She showed it even during those years. The point is that she shows us just like Jesus did. How do we not become afraid? The question in that last text, how do we not become afraid? Jesus. Jesus. And I just want to take a moment to thank Jesus for that love. That's how we become not afraid. At one point, we're going to come before our makers and the only thing that's going to stand between you and your creator is Jesus. And that's love. Active Powerful, supernatural, moving love that shows us in so many different ways. Now imagine our Jesus, my Jesus, hopefully your Jesus. Imagine your Jesus before the cross in the garden and he goes something like this. I hate this feeling. I hate the way that I'm feeling. To the point where he's asked, take this cup of suffering away three times. I'm not feeling this right now. And since I'm not feeling it, I'm done. And we're all doomed to hell. Because of a feeling. Praise be to God, our Lord and Savior didn't do that. Praise be to God, the good news is Jesus Christ fought back his feelings and his humanity and pushed it aside and says, I'm going to do the will of God and I'm going to show the world how much I love them. Praise be to God that he said, I'm going to choose the finishing work of God instead of my own feelings. Not my will, Father, because my will is get up and run. 
my humanity. Praise be to God. He says, I'm going to do your work. I'm going to act out your work. And live out for you, Lord. What does that mean? Jesus displayed his love for us. If you guys were here with us during Christmas, we put together this unexpected love. And one of our memory verses was, he demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. What does that mean? He died for the world. What does that even mean? He died for us. Enemies, sinners, people that are wicked. He died for us. He died for each and every one of us on the cross. I better get the band back up or we'll be here until three. So here's, the, here, here's, here's some bottom lines here. Let me get to the bottom line here. We must preach that love is not dependent on feeling or emotion. As Jesus is getting pinned up on the cross and getting stabbed in the side, his feelings can't be good. I don't care who you are. Fortunately, he was 100% man and 100% God to go through that process. But the feelings couldn't be good. We must preach that love is not dependent upon feelings and emotions. Why? Because feelings and emotions are the shallowest and most unreliable emotions of all human beings. Our feelings are shallow and are selfish. And our emotions are driven out of self and what's happening to me and not the overall picture of who I am. Instead, we must emphasize that love is a choice more than a feeling. Love is a choice more than a feeling. Yes, I'm feeling bad about you, but I'm going to choose to love you anyways. You know how many times my poor mom had to say that to me? You know how many times a drug addict lost in Northern California, my mom had to say, I love you, but I don't like you. My feelings are disgusted. That's not, just because she felt that way doesn't mean that the love is broken. And it's even stronger with God. Feelings are subjective while love is objectively displayed in action. Don't let your feelings ruin your relationship with God and your marriage and your kids. Let your feelings dictate your actions so that you can, even though I feel this way, I'm going to love you beyond this. Such love has no fear, verse 18 says, because perfect love expels all fear. Perfect love casts all fear. Throw it away. It was like a golf swing, wasn't it? Perfect love casts this all away, tosses it aside and says, I no longer fear, I love. Because perfect love in me is an action that allows me to push this stuff out of my heart and out of my way so that I can truly love the way that I'm supposed to love, even when I don't feel it. If we're afraid, it's for the fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect love. Man, I get it. It's hard to experience love. I've got friends. It's hard to experience love. My friend Robert Leone passed away this week and we had a relationship that was unbelievable. I mean, it was a fairy tale relationship. And he used to tell me, Jeff, it's so hard. I don't feel it. 
I understood it. And his story makes sense why he didn't feel it. But it doesn't mean that he wasn't receiving it. And it's hard. I get it. I don't want to discredit that. But let's get to that place of experience in it. 1 John 4 gives us three things. God is the standard of love. God is the one who encourages the lo- as the love. And He is this agape love that casts out all fears. That's who we have in Jesus. The bottom line is love is active. It's alive and working. If you're here today, it's alive and working. Maybe you don't feel it. And I know there's some that don't, if not many, that don't feel it. But it's here. And we're going to celebrate it in just a second. Maybe jump up and respond in a way that's different. Come before the Lord. Kneel down. Get some prayer. Move in a way that shows that I'm going to be active in my love, even if I can't feel it. The bottom line is, this love is active. Choose to love by showing it. Take a step. Make a response. Don't take the choice of living on feeling and emotion. Sometimes it's good. But active love is always right. When you do it in the glory of God. God so loved the world because he felt like it? No. Why would he love this world? There's a ton of people who don't even like him. There's a ton that don't even believe in him. But he loved the world, all people, because he knew this was the right thing to do. And I'm going to show the world by the ultimate sacrifice of my son, the greatest story of love of all time. There will be no other story ever on this earth or in this universe that will show that great love. What can I take away today? His love is supreme. His love is good. It's the ultimate truth. If I call myself a Christian, I'm loved. Automatically. And even if I don't believe in God, the Bible says that he came to the whole world. Not just to the people that call themselves Christians. You're loved. Automatically. If I read the word, I know this is a cheesy ploy. But I'm not asking you to read the word because I get kickbacks from the Bible company. But if they do that, I'd love to know. I would. But the truth is, this is a love letter. And when you open it up, it speaks to you in a way that's so personal. God challenged me to get up at five this morning and read. And he wanted to celebrate in my house about how much he loves me. Personally, there's nobody else there. Nobody knows if I even did it, but I do. And it was personal and it was special and it was powerful. Open up his word. The Bible says your word is a lamp before my feet and a light from my journey. When you open it up, he highlights things. And all of a sudden you go, I am loved and I am on the right path. And finally, it says we love because he first loved us. If you're living God's love, you need to love other people. And if you're like me, it's easier to love other people than to receive it. And I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Oscar Hammerstein writes this. A bell is not a bell until you ring it. A song is not a song until you sing it. Love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. Let's take some action. 
and not live on feeling and experience God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Love you, Lord, so deeply in such an active way. Come right now and take away these emotions and feelings and bring active love. Father, we submit our hearts to you. And we want this love to go in a deeper place. Lord, if there is someone here that needs to recommit into this love or accept this love for the first time, now is the action point to do that. The Spirit is speaking. Now your job is to respond. And you respond by reciting this prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. I know that you died and that you rose again so that I may have life everlasting. Pour out your spirit upon me, Lord, so that I may be actively in love with you. We say these things in your name. Amen.